Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... Long before you knew him, you were a spiritual orphan. God looked down through time and he knew you and he loved you and he had your picture on his refrigerator. And he's saying to them, Why do you want to go back to the orphanage? Why why do you want to go back to that old way of living? Many of us know it is easy to misunderstand or even forget the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Are such people true followers of Jesus? Only he knows for sure. But certainly, a lack of awareness of Jesus Christ and him crucified does weaken our faith. As humans, then, our default is to fall back on our own efforts, often in an attempt to gain God's favor, which is a treadmill of unfulfilling faith, trading in ritual for relationship. In Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul reminds the Galatians not to lose Christ by allowing other things to crowd him out. Here's Pastor Jim. The gospel message is this. You are secure and loved by God in Christ. Amen. But listen to it. Let it sink in. You are secure and you are loved by God in Christ. So stop. Wasting your time trying to feel secure. Preach to yourself. Stop listening to yourself. Filling your own brain, your own soul with a bunch of gobbledygook. And remind yourself of the Lord's love for you. Listen to what Paul told the Corinthians, the church that really judged him falsely. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3 and 4. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. What did the Apostle Paul know about his relationship with the Lord? We talked about it recently in Galatians. When we believe, God sends his spirit into our hearts. So when God looks at the believer, he sees Christ in you, your only hope of glory. Other versions say your only hope of victory. And so the apostle Paul says, listen, man, I know that God sees Christ in me, so I'm not totally stressed out about what everybody else thinks about me. In fact, he says, I'm not even stressed out about what I think about me. (laughs) I'm not going to let them judge me on some false pretense. I'm not going to judge myself on some false pretense. I'm going to bask in the fact that God loves me. I'm imperfect. That drives me to the foot of the cross. That drives me to grace. Then by the power of the Spirit, I'm motivated to live for him. Christian freedom, Despite what they're telling you today, maybe not in word, but in deed, Christian freedom is not freedom to sin. Christian freedom is getting off the approval treadmill of God. 
It's getting off the approval treadmill and experiencing God's love. It's knowing, remember we said, was it last week or the week before, that who does the adopting? The father, the parent, not the children. Remember then that the Lord willingly adopted you before you even knew him. Now, my brother and and my sister, who's no longer alive, my brother is five years younger than me, and my sister was eight years younger than me, and they both were adopted. My mother had me and then couldn't have any more children after me. She had a, a, a sickness and she had a surgery. Sadly, they say it would be a routine operation now, but God had other plans, and we're glad that I'm glad that it worked out the way it did. They both came to us when they were about one. So just imagine my brother one, and I'm six. My sister is one, and I'm nine. Now, interesting, I remember being interviewed, you know, with with my parents' child beaters, and so I bribed them. I made them pay off, and (laughs) they give them a good report. I was a slick little business guy at a young age. But here's what happened. They gave us pictures of my brother and sister long before they came. And oh, my family, we cherished those pictures. We were like, we, we couldn't wait for Neil and for, for Deirdre to come. You see, they were family to us before we ever laid our eyes on them. We were committed to them before they ever came to our house. We were committed to them and we loved them before they ever, ever, ever knew we even existed because they were one. They had no idea. But we, but we loved them and we were committed to them. They were loved by my parents. I remember my brother one time, my sister getting snarky with my parents about, well, you're not my real parents. And my brother, who's very quiet, really laying into my sister, saying there was people who, for whatever reason, couldn't raise us. And these people took us in and they've made us their children. We are their children. They are our parents. Don't you dare talk to her, to, that, to your mother like that. My, my brother and sister were loved and they were treated well. Do you think they would want to go back to the orphanage? This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. God knew you long before you knew him. You were a spiritual orphan. God looked down through time. And he knew you. And he loved you. And he had your picture on his refrigerator. And he's saying to them, why do you want to go back to the orphanage? Why, why do you want to go back to that old way of living? Verse 10, he said, you observe days and months and season and years. Does that mean that stuff is wrong? No, he's, he, but they're using it as a way of legalism to commend themselves to God. He's saying, You're, you've fallen into the trap of ceremonial religion. You've gone backwards. You have God's favor. Stop trying to earn it. He loves you. Stop trying to earn it. Verse 11, he says, I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. 
He's beginning to question what's going on. He's like, I'm watching the way you guys are living now. And, I, and I'm wondering, were, were you ever really believers? Did you really ever put your trust in Jesus? Did you ever really know God that you would go back to the old way of living or back to the silly stuff? And even if you are really believers, do you see the damage that is being done to your soul? Do you see the damage that is being done to your relationship with God? And what's so scary is it's probably being done so innocently. You might even say they don't even know any better. But what's happening? It is slowly eroding away in their souls the sufficiency of what the Apostle Paul said, Jesus Christ and him crucified. So if they're saved, are they losing their salvation? I'm not a fan of that. I think the question really is not good either. If you really want to intelligently discuss the question, you should probably say, can somebody give it back? But, but I'm not a fan of, of losing salvation. But are they weakening their faith? Certainly could be. Are they demonstrating they never were saved? Certainly could be. The, what's the problem? They're replacing knowing God that's what it means when we tell people we have a relationship with God. People are like, you're like, oh, it's not religion, it's a relationship. And they're like, what have you been smoking? <laughs> right? But that's what he's saying to them. He's like, you are replacing a relationship. You are replacing knowing God with rituals. You are replacing the love that God demonstrated towards you and you're trying to earn it by doing these different rituals. You know, it's interesting. I think, I think for us as Christians, when we think of God's love for us, we really have to work extra hard. And, and I, I have to take the blame for it this year. I, I knew it was happening. I, I, didn't, I, I guess I just didn't do anything. I saw us as a church not cherishing Easter. You know, so many people going like, oh, yeah, I'm going to brunch. Oh, 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 yeah, you know, I'm, 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 I, don't, I don't go to church on the holidays. We don't really cherish Christmas and Easter for what they really are. Tremendous demonstrations of God's love for us. Without Christmas, without Easter, there's no way you can know God. And I know there's so many trappings with the holidays. It, it saddens me that one of our least attended months at church is December. It should be one, it, the place should be packed, right? You got to shop, shop afterwards, whatever. But it, we should be gloriously looking forward the celebration of the incarnation of God become a man and I think, I think for me, I always say that, that Good Friday is my favorite service of the year. I think for me it's because Good Friday doesn't have any of the trappings. Good Friday, the rest of the world has not made anything out of it. Maybe an Easter egg hunt, I don't know. Verse 12, let's, let's do this one two times again. Brethren, I urge you to become like me. For I became like you, you have not injured me at all. 
So he begins, brethren. Brethren is a, is a, um, is a term of endearment. It is a term of Christian love. You know, uh, this is a pastor writing to congregations. It's a reminder to all pastors, community group leaders, disciplers, Christians who've been at it a long time, talking to those that are newer in the faith, that hard truth needs to be delivered, but it must be delivered with love and not scolding. Sometimes I hear of pastors scolding the congregations, and I'm like, I don't think that's your right to do that. Being emphatic about hard truths, that's okay. But hard truths must be delivered with the heart of a shepherd. So, so often people will meet me after a message and they will say, that was a tough message today, Pastor Jim. And I will always say this, was I mean? I, I, I'm fine with a hard message ministry. People left Jesus in John 6. This is a hard saying. This is a hard teaching. Listen, if you've got a hard teaching ministry and you're reflecting the word of God, we'll talk about that in a second, you're doing it well. You're doing it right. Don't, don't worry about how many people are following you or not following you. But it should not be delivered harshly. He says, brethren, I urge you. Uh, another version says, I beg you to become like me. Now, a lot of people wonder what that means. We'll talk about that in a second as, as why you would never say that to somebody. It's just like so uncool in American culture. And I'm going to undo that for you, I hope. He says, become like me. What does it mean? A follower of Jesus, of course. To see how he lived, yes. He told the Corinthians, imitate me or follow me as I follow Christ. Could be also about how he suffered. We'll see about that in a second. He said, become like me, for I became like you. Remember, Paul said to the Corinthians, I'm all things to all men. So I was a Jew, and I came into Galatia, and I acted like I wasn't a Jew. Or it could be, I became like you. I was not under the law anymore. Or, or I came to Galatia, I mingled with you guys, and I lived among you while you were not yet believers without compromising my faith. Now, the beauty of the gospel is, is, is the cultural flexibility of it. That's why I always say, if you watch those messages by some of those jokers on TV, and if you can't take it to the poorest places in the, in the world, then it's a false message. Now, the illustrations might be different. You're not going to tell them, well, you know, I went down to Walmart. They're like, what's a Walmart, right? But if the message can't be taken to those people, then it's a false message. Then it's the opinions of a, of a, of a guy, how culturally flexible is the gospel? God became a man. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? That shows you how flexible the message is. That shows you that, that, that it can go into any environment. Heaven can come to the slop house of earth. And, and the gospel works. As opposed to legalism, which has zero flexibility. No flexibility at all as opposed to other religions that, that, that people believe because a sword is put to their throat. And he says, 
you have not injured me at all. What, what is he saying there? I think he's just simply saying, I'm not mad at you. I'm grieved. He says, I urge you to become like me. That is like so, <laughs> we just don't say that as Americans. You know, I remember a guy, I, a guy said it to me one time. Uh, my, uh, my son had a friend and they, the family was from India. It was before I was a pastor. And uh, he, was, he was a funny guy. He was the most interesting guy to talk to. And, and, and he says, uh, you know, tell me, Jim Kevney, about your life. <laughs> and so I said, um, well, you know, I, 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 I'm a Christian. I get up at 4.45 or 5 in the morning. I, I spend about a half hour or 45 minutes with God. And then basically I sit at my desk and I'm, I'm faxing over all the routes for the drivers to go on you know, uh, talk with a couple of them to make sure they know what they're doing and things are clear. And then I, I have breakfast and then I, I do, you know, uh, some billing. Then I call a couple clients and then usually about 10 o'clock I, I, I drive over to the office for the messy rest of the day. And he says to me, oh, you are what we all want to be, Jim Kevney, up early, making deals, making money. You are what we want to be. And I was like, no, you don't want to be me. <laughs> But, but we would never say to somebody, I urge you to become like me. But I want to tell you something. I think it is so important for him and for us to say it. Because if we're going to say it, then it has to have some semblance of truth to it. I mean, this is a, this is a, this is a double-sided challenge. If you say it to someone, you have to ask yourself, am I really working hard at following Christ? Am I, am I really trying to live in response to what God has done for me? Or could I never, ever think like that? Now, in America, people might think you're bragging, so you don't necessarily say it like that. But maybe you tell people what it means to be a follower of Christ. You know, it's also thinking it through, wondering, am I and the person I'm talking to, are we on a destructive path? Think about, could you say that? It's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing to think of. You know, many of us come from a time, and some of us think that if we just had the right words, we could convince people to believe. You know, the, the internet generation has just uncovered all the false converts. <laughs> they were already there. They were already there. It's just, it's just, it's just slowly uncovering them, the, the, um, the, the society in which we live in, the secularism. It's just doing away with the mushy middle. You got the hardcore Christians and the hardcore atheists, and we're pretty much two kind of fringe groups. And the people in the middle are now being sifted out. They're, they're being sifted out. They, they, they could look religious before, but now they're, they're finding it tougher and tougher to, to, to look religious. But if we're true to the gospel, we know and we rely on the work of the Holy Spirit to convert people. We, we sow the seed. We're going to be talking about that in the Sundays to come. We, we sow the seed, but it is the work of the Spirit in the heart. And we must remember it is the work of the Spirit in our heart, too. I think some of the young people that I've met and some of the young people in this church 
um, have really helped me and continue to help me to see this. They want to know, they want to see, how does your faith work in real life? I mean, I get it in theory. I get it to a point. But how does it work in real life? How does this knowing God affect, not perfectly, I never found any of them looking for anybody to be perfect, but how does it, how does it affect your career? How does it affect your, your relationships? How does, it, how does it affect you when life is going well? And, and how does it affect you when everything is in the dumpster? How do you deal with life differently than everybody else does because of your faith? I mean, your talent's your talent. Your job's your job. Your health's your health. I, they'll, they'll get all that, but they want to know, really, in, in the things that just come at you, what difference does it really make? And I think that we see that in the next section as the Apostle Paul is able to find joy and opportunities in the midst of intense trials. Look what he says, verse 13. You know that because of physical infirmity. Now, now if, if you come from a prosperity background, you know verses like this just slam the door on that, that health and wealth thing. And this is how they get around it. Well, the Apostle Paul was arrogant and he didn't have enough faith. <laughs> kind of a cheesy answer, wouldn't you say? <laughs> like, you can't do better than that. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. Now, I love it that we get no specifics in what the problem with the Apostle Paul was. Lots of theories. Some people think he had malaria. Some people think he had eye problems. Something that's said in this passage it might lead you to think that. But not to mention, the guy was beaten so many times. Can I use a bad word? I bet he looked like hell. <laughs> Not that he was going there, but I bet he looked like it. I mean, you can only beat a man so many times without a good plastic surgeon, right? He looked terrible. I mean, really. And he says, in my trial, verse 14, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject. You didn't say, well, he's got problems. He's sick. Forget his God and forget him. No, you didn't do that to me at all. But you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. So what is he saying? I was a hot mess physically, and you respected me. You didn't expect me to be perfect. The Galatians were blessed by the gospel. They overlooked whatever it was about his physical issues that made him the way he was. They overlooked that probably at times he was not at his best. They didn't expect him to be perfect all the time. They saw the Apostle Paul, their pastor, they saw him as a human being he says, verse 15, what then was the blessing you enjoyed? I think that the obvious thing is that what did you enjoy through the preaching? Was it your salvation? Was it the grace of God? 
Was it sanctification? You were becoming more godly? Was it becoming part of the people of God? Was it the real presence of Jesus among us? Was it, was it the Holy Spirit? If I had to pick one, I would say the Holy Spirit, but I would say it was all of them. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us on today's edition of Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Would you like to hear this message again? Simply log on to our website, www.changedbyloveradio.com. There, you can listen to archive broadcasts, load our mobile app, as well as listen to Pastor Jim's easy-to-follow, verse-by-verse teaching on much of the Bible. You can also request a CD of this message in its original, unedited form on our website. If you would prefer to write to us, our address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. That's Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Or you can give us a call at 973-659-3380. Once again, that's 973-659-3380. Changed by Love is sponsored by listeners like you. We are so thankful for your continued support and prayers that allow us to bring our show to you on this station. Make sure you tell your friends and family about Changed by Love on this station, as well as how to listen to Pastor Jim on our website and mobile app. In the next edition of Changed by Love, Pastor Jim will continue teaching through God's Word. Glance at the clock right now, and please make plans to join us next time to be encouraged, comforted, and challenged by the Word of God. You are all a blessing to us. We hope to see you next time here on Changed by Love.